0: You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Well, we're not by nature those who love waiting. We're not by nature those who love to endure. But today as we look at Genesis chapter 40, we're going to see a picture of someone who who waits who learn the difficulty of waiting and enduring. But before we get there, I want to read for you from, from Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, if you're at home, would you just would you take a moment? In, in honor of the word of God, will you stand with me? Let's all stand together. And I want you to hear these words from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen now to God's word. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. That that idea of no one likes to wait. In fact, we're we're practicing waiting right now because we're waiting till next week for us to to be able to gather together as a church. And and I just want to start again by by thanking you for your patience. This is this is not the ideal way of gathering online. I totally understand that. But, uh, but, but I thank you for your patience because this has given us a little bit of time for those who are sick to get better, for those who are in isolation to, to test negative and be able to engage. And so thank you for your patience as we, as we weather this together. Now, now that said, let's, let's look back at this text. Let's, let's set things up for us today by, uh, by, by just uh, maybe, maybe posing the question, Have you ever had anyone explain to you the Christian faith in these terms? I've actually experienced some of this before. You know, if you become a Christian, these are the terms, if you become a Christian, your life will, it'll become so much better. You know, all the difficulties will just kind of fade away and your life will become so much easier. You ever heard that kind of mentality? Or or how about this one? You know, if, you, if you're a Christian, you know what, everyone will just start liking you, and all those who don't like you, they'll just kind of like, you know, you, there won't be anyone that doesn't like you anymore. Life's going to be easy, and people are going to like you. In fact, in fact, if you're a Christian, your, your life's going to be full of, of all of the blessings. I mean, you're going to end up being wealthy, and you're going to have so much perfect health in your life, and everything's going to work out just just fine. You, you ever heard that kind of idea? I, I see that kind of idea presented in different strains, sometimes not so boldly, sometimes much more subtly, but it's this idea that the Christian life is a life of no problems. It's a life of ease. It's a life where, well, God's for you, and because God's for you, things are just going to be so easy. Now, this is, a, this is a brand of Christianity that isn't much in terms of biblical Christianity, this is oftentimes what we can call uh, a cultural Christianity. Not a biblical Christianity, but a cultural Christianity. And typically with a cultural Christianity, it puts you and your life or man at the center. Not God at the center. Not, not the purposes of God at the center, but really the desires of people at the center. And, and if you end up following Jesus, you find that those are all false promises, if, if you end up following Jesus, the, the idea of being a Christian and life being easy and everyone liking you and everything working out just fine, you find that's not the way it works at all. In fact, what we're going to see is we turn to Genesis chapter 40, what we're going to see is that, that God's people should expect to endure What we find in the Scripture is not that God's people should expect the easy life. What we find instead in the Scripture is that God's people should expect to endure. This is the reality for believers, whether we like it or not. In fact, this is is the reality for the life of Joseph. We've seen in Joseph's life so far that he is a chosen son. We're going to see that God has great plans for his life, uh, plans that end up saving a nation. Joseph is used by God in incredible ways, but this does not mean life is easy for Joseph. It means the exact opposite. We're going to see that Joseph ends up living a life, just like we sang, a life of waiting and a life of endurance. And so today, as we, as we open up to Genesis 40, I want us to look at the way he endured. I want us to see that, that Joseph, he learned to endure by serving in unfair situations. We're going to see that, that Joseph, he, he endured in unexpected moments. And Joseph even endured by suffering from unfaithful people. Open up to Genesis, not quite verse, chapter 40 yet. Genesis 39, the very end of it. Let's begin, and let's begin seeing that we endure by serving in unfair situations. We endure by by serving in unfair situations. Genesis 39, verse 23. In this moment, Joseph has now been lied about. He's been falsely accused of of sexual impropriety. He has been thrown into into prison and he's he's risen in rank in the prison. But look at the situation Joseph finds himself in. Verse 39, it says, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Chapter 40, verse one. Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, verse three. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. This is Potiphar, it's talking about, the house of the captain of guard. This is Potiphar, keep going. It says, in the prison where Joseph was confined the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now let's, let's just start by remembering the context. The, the, the place we find ourselves in as as Joseph li- as his life unfolds, as we read the scripture. At this point, Joseph has, is unfairly enslaved and imprisoned. He's unfairly enslaved when he was obeying his father to go check on his brothers all the way back in Genesis 37, and his brothers see him coming. They almost kill him. They throw him into a pit, and then they sell him into slavery. Joseph finds himself in the house of Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard of of Pharaoh. And in Potiphar's house, Joseph succeeds until Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of sexual sin. And now Joseph is thrown in prison. He's been enslaved, and now he's been imprisoned unfairly. When Joseph, uh, when he was enslaved, he was 17 years old. He was a young man. We're going to find that he stays in prison until he's 30 years old. And so we know that he's sometime in this time frame in the life of, as a 20-year-old, somewhere in this. And, and he spent a number of years in Potiphar's house and now a number of years in prison. And, and so in this situation, enter Pharaoh's servants. You know, in the house of Pharaoh, there were many servants, and some of those servants had very high places. Two of those servants had high places, and, and they now find themselves in the low place of prison. The first one is the chief cup bearer. This is the one who not only would hold Pharaoh's cup and bring it to Pharaoh and present it to him, but but he was in charge of, all of just overseeing everything that goes in the cup. You can imagine as the king of Egypt, there were occasionally, there were assassination attempts. And one of the great ways or easy ways to assassinate a, a pharaoh would be to poison him. And so this cupbearer, he was responsible for making sure pharaoh was safe of any poisoning in his wine. In, this, in ancient Egypt, the cupbearer, oftentimes he became a, a confidant of Pharaoh. I mean, he was with Pharaoh all the time. He was with Pharaoh when Pharaoh was probably a little bit inebriated. And so he ended up being someone that oftentimes a Pharaoh would share their heart with. And in fact, the chief cupbearer, one of their responsibilities was actually to dilute the wine of the king, especially in moments of, of sovereign importance, of, in, in diplomatic debate, or if, or if he was hosting and, and debating or having conversation about policy the cupbearer would uh, water down the wine so that Pharaoh would not be intoxicated. This is the first servant. The the second servant was the chief baker. Now, ancient Egypt, they had numerous different types of pastries and numerous different types of bread, and this is the chief baker, and so he was the one that oversaw all of this. And these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, somehow they offended Pharaoh. Some commentators speculate that, that maybe, uh, maybe Pharaoh had an upset stomach after a meal. <laughs> that something didn't quite sit with him. He had indigestion or, or something along those lines. Maybe he ended up with, maybe he wasn't poisoned, but, but maybe he ended up with food poisoning. And so for all of these myriad of different reasons, potentially Pharaoh became upset with these men. And because he's Pharaoh, he throws them into prison. They end up in prison, and they end up under the responsibility of Joseph. Now, just like when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, Joseph, he proved himself faithful, and so he was, put in, he was given responsibility over the whole house. Now in prison, which is ultimately overseen by Potiphar, Joseph has proved himself to be faithful once again. And so the ward over the prison has put Joseph as really the, the one in charge of everything. And so now Joseph is responsible for the care and overseeing of these two uh, very important prisoners. And what I want us to see here is the key is, is Joseph's service is not dependent upon his status. I want you to see this for a moment. Joseph's service is not dependent upon his status whether he's the highest person in a house or whether he's in prison, Joseph is doing whatever is right. He is, he is a prisoner, but he is serving faithfully. This reminds me just briefly of the Christian life. As believers in Jesus Christ, this reminds me of passages like Colossians 3:17. It says, "For believers, it says, "In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." This, this teaches us that, that regardless of our position, regardless of how easy or how difficult something is, everything a believer does, they do they do in honor of the Lord this means when we go to work and we have supervisors that are difficult to work for guess what when we work for that supervisor we're not actually serving them At the end of the day we are actually serving the lord this means for those of us who are in homes that maybe there's some contention or there's some strife husbands and wives parents to children listen when we go and we lead well or we serve well in our homes it doesn't matter how easy things is how easy things are everything we do in relationship to our husband or wife, in relationship to our children or parents, we do in service of the Lord. This this reminds me of one time I saw someone in a church, and they were they were in a position of a lot of responsibility. They, they were in kind of a bit of a prestigious position where everyone looked up to them. They were kind of in the position where they, they said, hey, I need a cup of water, and people would get them a cup of water just because of the, the kind of way they served in the church. And I remember seeing this person, they would regularly, as they were walking through the church, if they saw garbage on the ground, they would just pick, stoop down and pick up the garbage It says so much about their character because they weren't in ministry for what people could do for them. They were just simply going to serve the Lord even in the smallest and most insignificant of ways. Everything they did, they strived to do this unto the Lord. This is the life of a believer. This is pictured in Joseph's life. Joseph was in very, very unfair situations. He was sold into slavery, and then he was falsely imprisoned. He could have been someone who sat in the prison cell, and literally, he could have just complained. Woe is me. My life is terrible. Everything is unfair. But this is not what he did. He endured. How? He endured by serving in unfair situations. You know, our, our subtitle to this series is Joseph and it's it's victim, victor, and then vessel. Let's talk about being a victim. How many of us can claim that we're a victim for some reason or another? If we if we dig deep enough into every person's life, every person experiences something unfortunate. Every person experiences uh, unfair treatment one way or another. Listen, every single one of us we've got the choice. We can we can do the opposite of Joseph. We can sit in the cell that we make for ourselves, put ash on our heads, and complain and whine. Life is so unfair. But that's not what we do. We endure by serving even in unfair situations so let's keep going not only do we see that god's people endure by serving in unfair situations but as we continue in this text we see that god's people endure by showing god in unexpected moments we don't just serve just because so, we're going to do the right thing. Our service is meant to shine light on the one we serve. It's meant to shine light on the, on the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's meant to point to God. Let me show you what I mean. Pick back up with this. We're going to see that we endure by showing God in unexpected moments. Verses 5 through, uh, through 9 to start. This is In one night, And one night they both dreamed, this is the cupbearer and the baker, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now let's again, let's, let's, again, let's see the context here. The, the word dream, if you've been with us the last few weeks, it should, it should spark something in your mind. Because the context is, this is Joseph's second set of dreams where God is speaking. Back in chapter 37, it was Joseph who had dreams. And remember, we said that week that dreams were oftentimes how God would communicate in ancient days. Remember, in ancient days, they, they, didn't ha- they did not have the revealed word of God. They did not have the completed canon, that they didn't have the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so oftentimes in ancient days, God would speak through prophets and he would oftentimes speak through dreams. And one of the ways that God spoke through dreams is by doubling a dream. See, a doubled dream, the, the, the same dream twice or similar dreams that, that are about the same thing, they demonstrated that, that God was about to do something and what he's going to do is fixed. That there is no change in it whatsoever. And so this is the context. The context is th- these guys have dreams, and, and they're troubled.'re they're, they frustrated They're frustrated because, well, there was no one to interpret it. See, dream interpretation in ancient Egypt, it was big business. You you could make a lot of money if you could read the tea leaves well, if you understand what I mean there. There there were people that they were hired as dream interpreters. And so these men of renown, the cupbearer and the baker, if they had this dream and they were still serving Pharaoh, you know what they would have done? They would have hired someone to come and listen to their dream and tell them the interpretation and they would have been pleased. And they had probably even done this before in the past. But listen, they can't do that. Why? They're in shackles. They're in prison. They're in a dungeon. They can't go and hire someone there. They're in a dungeon. And so Joseph comes in and I want you to notice Joseph he he comes in and he sees there's something going on here. See, this is the key. The key we're going to see in just a moment is that the unexpected, those unexpected moments of life, those random chance encounters, chance encounters that we we might chalk up as just coincidence, when something unexpected happens, often is God's unfolding plan. When something unexpected, when something out of the ordinary happens, this is often God's providential hand lining things up in a way that serves his purposes. And so, Let's just think through this for a moment. Let's just think through this. The first thing we see is Joseph's position. Joseph's position. Joseph is in, in the right time, in the right place. Now, he probably wouldn't tell you that. He, he probably thought that he was in... Prison, and this is not the right time to be in prison, and prison is not the right place for him to be. He probably would not want to be in prison in Egypt. You know where he really probably wants to be? He wants to be back in Canaan with his father and his family. Joseph, in his mind, is not in the right time and the right place, but, but according to God's plan, Joseph is definitely in the right time and the right place. Listen again, verses 5 through 7. And one night they both dreamed... Go down a little bit further. Each his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came into them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast? Now, if you read this text slowly, you just see the repetition of their identity and the repetition that they're together and the repetition that they're in, dungeon. And this is just making it really clear. These repeated phrases, it's just layering the fact that Joseph is in the right place at the right time. God has put him there. And notice in verse 6, Joseph comes in and he has the wherewithal to notice something is different here. He says, Why are your faces downcast? Joseph shows an interest in them. And I think I think Joseph has shown an integrity because these men are willing to trust him. They're willing to open up. He 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 clearly has a trajectory, Joseph does, of integrity, of doing the right thing, and of being trustworthy. And so these men in prison, they probably have seen that in Joseph's life. Joseph, right time, right place. But don't just see his position. I also want you to hear Joseph's proclamation in verse 8. Look at how Joseph has the right focus. Not, is he, not only is he in the right place at the right time, but he has the right focus. These men, they say, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. You notice what Joseph says here? Joseph says, This is an opportunity for you to see that there is a God. Notice what Joseph doesn't say. Joseph doesn't say, Oh, you know what? I am very skilled in interpreting dreams. Joseph doesn't say, "Oh, you know what? If you tell me the dreams, maybe I can hire a, maybe I can hire an interpreter to come to the, 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 the prison for a day and, and maybe we can work something out." Joseph doesn't rely on himself. He doesn't rely on man-made devices here. Here's what Joseph does. In an unexpected moment where Joseph is in the right time and in the right place, Joseph turns the spotlight not to himself, but he turns the spotlight to God. Do not interpretations belong to God? This is an ordeal that God can step into. This is a moment where God can be displayed. This is a moment where Joseph can do the, Joseph can do the right thing, and his good works will they'll, they'll show off the glory of the Father. And, and so we see, we see, we hear this proclamation. And so these men, they decide to open up to him and they decide to sh- share with Joseph their dreams. And Joseph responds with what I'm going to call here plain speech. L- listen to the way Joseph just lays the facts out just clear as day. H- here we go. Pick it up with me. Verses 9 through 13. It says, So the chief cup bearer, he told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream... There was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. This is great news for the cupbearer. But more than that, look at what Joseph does. Joseph just lays it out there. He says the, the the interpretation of dreams, it belongs to God, and God gives Joseph the interpretation. He says, the three branches, the, this is three days. And, and all the rest of the symbolism, as the, the branches, as the blossoms or the buds, they turn to blossoms and they ripen into grapes, and then you squeeze them into the cup, and you take that cup and you hand it to Pharaoh. This is exactly what's going to be happen. What's going to happen? God is, or Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. He's gonna lift up your head. He's gonna rescue you out of this dungeon. It's great news for the cupbearer. Joseph speaks the truth plainly to him, and and you almost picture, you almost picture the baker leaning forward in anticipation, saying, It's my turn. You can almost picture him like almost like pushing the cupbearer out of the way, like, oh my turn now. I I want you to hear my dream. And so Joseph hears the next dream. Skip down to verses 16 through 19. It says when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also have a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of it in, of my baskets on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. This is, a, this is not an easy dream to interpret. I, I think Joseph interpreting the, the cupbearer's dream was probably a moment of kind of happiness Guess what? Your life's going to be saved. You're going to be restored to your position, and then the chief baker shares his dream, and Joseph, in the same way, speaks plainly, speaks clearly, speaks directly. He 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 doesn't him and Hall. He doesn't seem to soften the message. He he doesn't leave anything out, and he doesn't lie. He doesn't say, oh, it's going to be great for you. And then three days later, the the chief baker is taken off and surprised with it as an execution. No, Joseph just lays the, the truth that God has revealed. He lays it out plain as day. He speaks plainly and boldly. Joseph is the messenger, not the author. And Joseph recognizes it's not up to him to interpret dreams. It's up to God. Joseph, again, he, he is the messenger, not the author. Now, I, I want to pause here again for just a moment because I think our evangelistic efforts today could take some great lessons from the life of Joseph. You know, oftentimes, those of us in Christ, believers, We are so worried about what people are going to think about us if we share with them the hard truths of the Word of God. We are are so nervous that they're not going to like us. We are so worried that they're going to leave us out. We are so fearful that they're not going to be our friend anymore. We are so worried about what others think about us that we are unwilling at times to share the most important message in the world. That Jesus loves them, that he died for them, he was buried, and that he rose from the grave. And if they believe that message, they can be saved. Listen, this is a tough message because this is a message that, that it's clear that, that they are sinners. So are we. This is a message that's clear that we all need rescue, we all need to be saved, that we all have failed. And this is a message that is not popular in our culture at all. I mean, even, even in the beginning of this service, when we talked about the, the legislation in Canada and, and how it's taking an aggressive approach against the Christian message, equally so in the United States. When we teach on God's ethic for sexuality, it's one of the easiest ways to get people to, to not like us or to ignore us. But, but what's so ironic when we care more about what people think about us than we care about God's word is in moments like that, we are, we are actually looking for the approval of dead men instead of giving them the, the only way to them having life. I mean, think about it for a moment. If, if the, the scripture is true, if the gospel is real, if Jesus really did live and die and be raised from the grave, which all of that is true to the very core of its message, then what these people who might not like to hear what we say, what they don't want to hear is actually what they need more than anything else in the world. And we're afraid of what they'll think of us. We can learn a lot just from the plain speech of Joseph in this moment. He recognizes that God is the source of this revelation, just like God is the source of this revelation. And this is a call for us to live lives that, that speak plainly the truth of God's word. But let's keep going. In fact, I want you to back up with me because we've seen Joseph's position, the right time in the right place. We see Joseph's proclamation. He puts the right focus on God. We we see his plain speech, but I also want you to hear verses 14 and 15, Joseph's petition. Joseph has a request of the cupbearer. Here's what he says. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. Verse 15. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. The pit. I want you to hear Joseph's petition. Joseph's petition is to remember him. So He says to the cupbearer, remember me when you are with when you're with Pharaoh, show me this kindness. In fact, if you look at the language here, it's interesting. He says, he says, I have done nothing to be in this pit. And he uses the same word, pit, as the word in chapter 37 when his brothers throw him into a pit. He, he says, my life is in a pit. <laughs> my, my identity is one who lives in this perpetual pit. He says, but now you are going to be rescued out of it, chief cupbearer. And so show me the kindness and mention me to Pharaoh. Mention my situation. Read between the lines here. Mention my integrity. Mention who I am. He says, remember me. So I want you to see that we, we should expect to endure, and we endure by showing God we endure by showing God in the unexpected moments of life. Joseph could have made this all about him. He makes it ultimately about God, though. we learn so much. we should expect to endure, and we endure, especially in those unexpected moments when we show who God is. But let's continue in the story. Let's go, let's go to the end of the chapter now, and let's see that, that finally, that we endure by suffering because of unfaithful people. We endure by suffering. Because of unfaithful people. Verses 20 through 23. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him <laughs> you know this is this is incredible these few verses here they show us two things the first thing they show us they show us that the interpretation shows god's faithfulness look at the story here Joseph sees these men in prison. Their faces are downcast. He says, what's going on? They said, we had these dreams. There's no one to interpret them. And Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me. They tell him and Joseph lays out the interpretation. And then three days later, listen to this, the interpretations prove completely accurate. I mean what an encouragement for Joseph he he, he predicted he he showed what was going to happen by by God's divine kindness what an encouragement for the chief cupbearer he's restored to his position of favor and what terrible news for the chief baker he is executed He is lifted up. It's probably, he's put on a pike. It's probably not like gallows and hung. It's more like he's put on a pike and he's displayed for all to see. But ultimately, this shows God's faithfulness. God has proven true once again. But but here's what else it shows. It shows the cupbearer's unfaithfulness. The cupbearer, he shows his own unfaithfulness. Look again at verse 23. It says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, parents who are listening, you're used to this word forgot, right? How often do you say to your kids at night, Did you brush your teeth? Oh, I forgot. Did you make your bed this morning? Oh, I forgot. Did you do your homework? Oh, 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 I forgot, right? How often do you walk into a room and find the light is left on? Who forgot to turn off the light? That's not what forgot means here. This is not a mental lapse like the chief cupbearer. Oops, I forgot to, I forgot to mention you. This is, this is more of a, a moral characteristic. He did not remember. And then it doubles down. It says He forgot. Why would he bring up the fact that he was imprisoned to Pharaoh? Why would he bring up these bad memories of the the time when the cupbearer was separated from Pharaoh and so he, he forgets? Now I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Imagine the day after this. The day after Pharaoh's birthday, Joseph is probably thinking, well, you know, yesterday was a big day, and so maybe today is going to be the day where the chief cupbearer, where he mentions me to Pharaoh. Maybe today's the day that I'm going to get out of this place, right? And so that day passes, and he says, well, you know, there's probably a lot going on. And so, so a few more days pass, and, and Joseph's thinking, well, sometime this week, surely, sometime this week. And then a month passes. And then a few months pass. We're going to find out in the next chapter, then a year passes. We're going to find out in the next chapter, two years pass. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Joseph in that moment, going from this moment of hope and excitement and then the slow realization that this one chance he had to get out of prison it's going nowhere. He is stuck in this pit for who knows how long. you got to imagine Joseph is he's struggling with whether he's going to put his trust in that man, the cupbearer, or he's going to put his trust in God. See, ultimately, this chapter ends, and it ends with one person exalted, the chief cupbearer, It ends with one person executed, the chief baker, and it ends with one person expectant, Joseph. He's waiting. I would say he is expectantly enduring. He's expectantly enduring. Maybe this is where you might find yourself as we listen to this story right now. Maybe you're expectantly enduring difficult situations at work where work is so difficult and you're not sure if there's light at the end of the tunnel and you're just holding on, and you're just trusting in the God every day you go there, you're enduring. Maybe you're enduring in difficult relationships Maybe in your family or in your friend network or or wherever life finds you, you you have relationships that are full of drama and trauma. There There is all sorts of messiness in the relationships that you're in and you would love nothing more than to see real change, but that change hasn't happened and maybe it has been weeks or months or years and you're beginning to lose hope. Maybe you're enduring physical ailment I mean, our church right now, we're, we're not gathered this week because so many people are dealing with COVID. And maybe you're expectantly enduring and, and you're, you're dealing with some sort of uh, pain in your life. M- maybe there's something chronic in your life that does not go away, and it's been weeks and months and years of, of just enduring pain. What do you do as you endure? What, what allows you to continue to endure, to continue to trust in the Lord and not in men, to continue to hope that things will get better even if it's when you cross those, the gates into heaven? See, we endure. Why do we endure? We endure for one reason above all else. We endure because Jesus endured for us. You endure because Jesus endured for you remember where we started the message? We started in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to turn back there. Hebrews 12, listen to verses one through three again. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted you know that word endure it's a compound word in the original language the the compound word it means to remain under the, the word endure means to stay under, to stay under what? To stay under difficulty, to stay under pressure, to stay under hardship and tribulation and pain and even even the drama and the trauma of life. Endure means to remain under. The text calls us to endure. The text calls us to endure, but look, it shows, first of all, that we have a cloud of witnesses who remained under their trials. We have a cloud of witnesses who remained under their trials. If you go back one chapter, chapter 11, it describes all of these different Old Testament saints, all of these different people who they faced incredible trials. And you know who it mentions in there? It mentions Joseph. Verse 22 of chapter eleven, it says, "By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones." Here's what happens, just in brief: Joseph dies in the land of Egypt. He never gets back to his father's house, his father's homeland. He never gets back to the land that was promised to the people of God. And so, his bones are carried out. Joseph endured along with a countless cloud of witnesses. They endured their difficulties. But then it points beyond others, and it points to Jesus. It reminds us that Jesus remained under, or Jesus endured, the torture of the cross. Look at verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This text says that Jesus endured. He remained under the torture of the cross. The cross where his, his arms and legs were nailed to it. The cross where he was slowly getting, growing short of breath until he breathed his last breath. The cross that was the punishment of the worst criminals and Jesus as the innocent, perfect, sinless son of God is hung upon it. Jesus endured the torture of the cross. He remained under it. Not only that, but the text uses it again. It says Jesus remained under the hostility of sinners. Verse three, says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself he remained under the hostility what kind of hostility jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his friends he he was he was battered and beaten by the romans When he was hung on that cross, he was berated and belittled by the crowds as they mocked him and they cursed him. Jesus endured all of this hostility. He remained under. He remained under. Why? Why would he endure the cross? Why would he endure the hostility of sinners? Verse two, it says why. It says, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy, for the joy of the glory of heaven when it's going to be filled with you and I and everyone else who trusts in him as we sing his praises for all eternity. He endured, he remained under. What does this mean for you and I? It means that you and I, we remain under our trials. You and I endure brother and sister in Christ, we should expect to endure. Verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us let us run as we remain under all of the difficulties and trials this life brings. Let us remain under what, where? Let us remain under when we serve in unfair situations. You have unfair situations. Keep serving. Keep striving. Keep pressing forward. Let, let, us, let us endure in unexpected moments, in those moments when there is a, an opening into someone's life. Let us endure by sharing the gospel regardless of the outcome, regardless of the response. Let us endure by sharing Christ in those unexpected moments. And who? Let us endure by serving unfaithful people, people who may not respond well, People who may not remember us in the moments when they should. And then the text says, How? How how do we do this? By suffering. By laying aside everything that slows us down. And ultimately, here's how we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Where, Where are you looking these days? Where are you looking these days in your difficulty, in your hardship, in your trial? I'm, I'm going to close with just this last picture. If you in fact are under difficulty, if you are fa- in fact are under trial and, and hardship, I'm going to tell you something right now. You can endure it, but you can only endure it. If you take your eyes off that trial, if you take your eyes off that difficulty, if you take your eyes off this circumstance that is painful and hard and unfair, and you cast your eyes upon Jesus. You remember what he endured to save you, and then you realize you can endure whatever this life throws at you because of him, because of Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize in this moment that you don't promise an easy life you don't promise that everything's going to work out exactly how we want and expect. In fact, you, you, you teach us in your word that we should expect to endure. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are listening to this right now, I, I pray that you would begin to, you'd begin to work in each of us in such a way that you would, you would form in us spines of steel. You would give us a vision of Jesus Christ that is unwavering. You would set our focus on Christ so firmly that nothing will distract us. And then because of this, you will make it possible for every one of us to endure whatever we face in this life. Lord, help us to endure the unfair situations we find ourselves in. Lord, make it so that we're not like those who, who cling to victimhood, who complain and whine when things don't go our way. Instead, Lord, turn our eyes to Christ and let us be faithful in the unfair moments of life. Father, I pray that because our eyes are on Christ, in an unexpected moments we would speak of Christ. Father, I pray that even this week you would give us opportunities to share about Jesus and his great love and kindness. And Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to endure by suffering under unfaithful people. Lord, there's probably some people that come to our mind right now. Those who have done us wrong, those who owe us things Lord, help us to endure. Help us to take our eyes off of them and the the wrong they've done and help us to put our eyes on Christ and to endure. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, the, the name of the one who endured for us. Amen.